Welcome back to the Burning Phoenix podcast and our explorations into a new renaissance. So we have a couple of updates from this week. Uh, we had uh, made a recording on Tuesday with English professor Robert Louis Abrahamson, and we talked about the sphere of Mercury in uh, Paradiso. And it was a great joy to just delve into the topics, the themes of this sphere and, and how Dante is making some larger arguments about uh, cultures, civilizations, humanity, and how all of this is combined and unified with bigger uh, bigger ideas, bigger eternal truths, and kind of the transcendent realm. So uh, that was great fun, and it's out uh, now on uh, Spotify and iTunes and all the other platforms uh, at the Dante's Divine Comedy podcast. So that was one thing. And then we're now continuing our journey in Italian with uh, reading about the sphere of Venus. And so just one fun thing with that is that he's creating this really uh, kind of mesmerizing, uh, splendor, dazzling display of the of the light on the love of, of the Venus and kind of how people used to look at this in the ancient times that it had, it kind of spurred mad love in people. And the fun part with this is that Right now in the morning, around 7.15, a.m. in the morning, if you, uh, at least here in England, if you then walk outside, you do see the morning star in the eastern sky with Venus just hanging there. And you can see this very special light coming from Venus. And you can almost sense that it has an effect on you. And then that can connect you to that same experience that Dante had when he was up early in the morning and also the ancient times, like human human beings for thousands of years have been looking at this morning star. So that's kind of a, one of those timeless, uh, awe-inspiring moments sometimes. So that's all for the updates. And then for the listener question, we had one. This is going to be a little bit different because uh, this is from this is from a friend of ours. And then we talked about these, um, like the 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 wealth of the of the ancient and the medieval times and then kind of what uh, how they might be helpful today and then when we talked about this idea of a conundrum or a dilemma for today uh, his input there was that he doesn't really have a dilemma at the moment but he has a desire to see a change in our cosmological perspective and i'm not sure how to tie this all together so this is then chris in georgia and he Georgia, uh, US. And he is a mix of a farmer, a web developer, and also an independent cosmologist. So he has uh, developed over the last, like, uh, he wrote a book six years ago about cosmology. And then it's, it's a, so again, this is a little bit more into the science, uh, science area, but um, he's been, if not proven right, there are many things with the new GEMS web telescope, like the successor to the Hubble telescope. And the discoveries, it, made, it was launched last summer and then they made a lot of discoveries that, that were contradictory to kind of the, the current view of things. And then uh, it's an ongoing process how to digest this in the, in the more like cosmological community. Okay, so that being said, the, the, what we're going to try to do now is how can the tradition be helpful? In this case, for our friend Chris, when he is frustrated about this and how he sees it as kind of the, the, the current paradigm kind of not aligning with observations or not aligning with what, uh, what could be a different way of viewing it. So what we, we wanted to connect this to something that is timeless, which is that uh, if the times or like uh, 
parts of the culture or parts of science are not aligning with the truth, like if you just take for like that as a presumption for the moment, how to uh, relate to this without just being frustrated? Like, how can we understand this? And then one thing came to mind, which is then Ecclesiastes. And his idea of that everything has its season. So this is one way to, to just be patient. If something in your life or in the culture or in society might frustrate you, just remember that things go in cycles, you have pendulum movements, and there is a season for everything. So this is then for the quote there, like to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then there's a lot of uh, examples of this. Uh, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And a time to rend and a time to sue, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. So this is then a timeless reminder of sometimes just patience and just wait and let things kind of play out. And especially on the bigger scale, things might move a little bit slowly, but they do move. <laughs> so uh, so maybe there will be a few years or sometimes it's a couple of decades, but then things will change. And we can also connect this to the idea of fraud and truth. If you look at Dante for one second, this is very much like it's all over Inferno and Paradiso. In a sense, Inferno is full of, half of Inferno is is explicitly about fraud and Paradiso is about uh, or making the argument that it is about truth, eternal truths and kind of the divine transcendent truths. And you can also see then like discordance versus harmony and truth as another way of looking at this. And if you look at the Greek tradition with the uh, mythology, we picked out two stories that kind of touch upon this idea. And one of them is interesting because this is a, it's about Prometheus. And this is one of the most misunderstood uh, stories in the Greek mythology. But that in itself is very interesting. And we kind of just spend a moment on that because if you read uh, Ovid and the first, like how, how this whole thing with Prometheus and the fire and then the, the punishment of humanity, it starts with the, the trick at the Mekon where Prometheus wants to, to trick Zeus. He tries to deceive the gods, meaning then he tries to deceive kind of reality or, or timeless truths and, and, and just like the fabric of reality in a sense. And then there, there are consequences. So Prometheus, if you read the original, he's not really a hero. He is more like one who starts doing deceit and then it has consequences that falls upon human beings. So in the sense that he is the one who is bringing these consequences on humans. So it's more a story about hubris. But it's interesting on the side here that in kind of more like the last couple of centuries, in modernity, Prometheus is, at lift, is lifted up as a hero <laughs> and that is... It's almost like a, um, it's how it's playing out the same idea that since modernity is lifting humans up to being the overall scale of everything, like modernity is, is taking away timeless truths, objective truth, transcendent realms, and puts human reason or human humans human beings as the top. And that is very much the 
if you look at this in the Greek mythology, this is the wrong that Prometheus is doing, and then it has consequences. So we're sort of just almost like blindly playing out the same story. Okay, and the other one is Sisyphus. So he is uh, he's famous for like pushing a stone up a hill, and then it, when he's almost at the top, the, the stone falls back. This And he's in the underworld, and this is also a punishment from the gods after he has... Um, he is full of deceit and he tries also to cheat the gods and then this is the consequence. So all of this is just like examples of kind of how eventually the truth will prevail and the truth will like things, cultures, civilizations, humanity will gravitate back towards the truth if it starts straying with, with fraud or deceit. Uh, okay, so that was uh, the thoughts we had on this uh, little uh, question or, or input uh, from uh, Chris in Georgia, US. And then the topic for this week is partly related. So we are reading a, a new book now from a philosopher called Augusto del Noce. So he is an Italian philosopher and he's, he spent much or most of his, his work as a scholar on modernity and also then the ancient and the and the medieval and how this what he how he sees it that modernity is then uh, is a reaction but he says that modernity could move back into being absorbed into the wider uh, bigger tradition so in his view he, he mentions Descartes and then he says Descartes went to Nietzsche, but he didn't have to. It could, also, it could also go to another Italian philosopher called Rosmini, who is more uh, advocating for or suggesting that the best of modernity in some sense could be kind of, uh, absorbed back into the, the bigger frame and then be uh, like a, a good uh, enrichment of, of the tradition in itself. So I just wanted to pick out a few quotes from this uh, book we're reading. The it's called The Crisis of Modernity. This is a, it's an essay collection from, again, Agosto del Noce. And the first essay is called, in Italian, L'idea di modernità, which is then the idea of modernity. So he's, uh, he's articulating this, uh, for example, with like a process of disintegration began with medieval nominalism. Now we're kind of deep into metaphysics here, but this is relevant for all the stuff we're doing with Dante and also the idea of a renaissance or like a new rebirth with getting a fuller view, like metaphorically, you can say connect the heavens and earth again, getting the transcendent back as a presence in, in the culture and in our thinking. And then he points to how with nominalism, this is the kind of the 1200s, 12, 1300s, where you it emerged this perspective that anything abstract does not exist. So like virtues and vices don't exist by themselves. It's just a label we put on like material uh, occurrences of this. And then you can kind of put that into a group and say, oh, we can call this vice, uh, viceful or virtuous behavior. But the idea of a virtue or vice doesn't exist in itself. And then this applies then to everything that's kind of spiritual or immaterial, um, which in itself is a bit of a conundrum because then you can ask about mathematics, if mathematics exists or not as an abstract reality.
But anyways, nominalism is important to, to know in this context because that's when you start having a split and this leads very much into modernity. And he makes uh, further arguments here that we must abandon the notion that the idea of modernity possesses an axiological character. Instead, it must be regarded as the period in which the phenomenon of what he calls here like an excessive secularism manifested itself and burned itself out. And axiological is this idea that in modernity, it doesn't see modernity as just another uh, era in history. It's more like a full break from the past. And in the modern thinking, there's a presumption that, uh, as he says here, it indicates a point of no return. And then, like a quote here, like today it is no longer possible. That is one of those ideas from modernity that we have now changed and we cannot think as we used to do and we have to just uh, distance ourselves from much of the old cosmology because it is not relevant and it is also wrong. So that is what he means with this axiological character of it. And he also says that in this sense, today's secular philosopher not only starts, but is forced to start from this proposition that today it is no longer possible. So it's a whole kind of both a cosmology, but also a, a perspective on how you look at the, everything in the past and the tradition. And then he says that transcendence uh, pictured as beyond is now replaced with transcendence within the world. And this is also very, this is in some sense the most basic choice for how you look at the world, is if you see the material, the earthly world as like, um, as uh, kind of your, the context that we are living in, but it is embedded in something bigger, which is like a, a transcendent beyond, which is a mystery and which is kind of that which is beyond our capacity to understand, but that, that is the bigger picture, the bigger frame. But that is replaced and to put the mystery and the transcendent like within the material world as these little, um, these little areas, small areas that we do not understand, but it's kind of uh, minimized to something within a big picture of uh, modernity instead. And then he makes again the, uh, I, uh, the argument that you could have two lines of development from Descartes to Nietzsche, which is the one that has been, uh, the one that, that uh, is the prevailing one now, but you could also have one from Descartes to Rosmini, which moves towards recovering and refining traditional metaphysical and religious thought. And... One more, he says that, therefore, the axiological concept of modernity, understand as it is no longer possible, must be replaced by a problematic concept. The centuries of the modern age are those in which the phenomenon of excessive secularism manifested itself. So he then uh, summarizes much of this by making the argument again that we had to connect heaven and earth, that modernity has cut heaven and earth uh, like apart, uh, and also cut off the transcendent truth, and also timeless truths at all. And then we just wanted to add that this is, in many ways, actually what Dante is, is uh, giving us kind of the medicine for. Like, Dante's Divine Comedy is about reconnecting with the transcendent and reconnecting heaven and earth. 
which is the metaphorical starting in the dark forest as being disconnected and, and isolated. And then it ends with the full unity coming back. Okay, so just at the end here, we just want to say two reasons for why it is important, this idea of reconnecting with the transcendent. So number one is that it provides a stable, harmonious, enriching, meaningful, and purposeful life and world. We've got five, <laughs> five into one here. Um, but especially the point about meaning and purpose is, is uh, in itself a good enough reason to really try to understand and entertain this, this concept of reconnecting with the transcendent. And the second is that it can create, or probably will create, a new renaissance and rebirth of beauty and wisdom, which would be just an immense joy to experience in your life. And then two practical ways to think about this, or practical things to do to try to start this process. Uh, one is just to pursue truth in life and not immediate emotion. So if you encounter a part of the culture that tries to present you something that is like instantly emotionally um, stimulating or kind of enticing, just be a little bit skeptical because immediate emotion is not a good guiding system for the big picture, the, the long stretches, like the strategy for your life. It's sometimes very important and it should be a part of the overall view and how you evaluate kind of where to go or how to build your own outlook on the world. But in alone, it is not a good guiding system, which is also the all the warnings about passions. Like if you cut out reason, you only follow your passions, that will not give you freedom. It's the opposite. It will take away your freedoms and will make you a slave to your impulses and your passions and almost always lead you into destructive ways. And then the other thing, like practical thing to do is to just read more ancient and medieval stories. And then for example, Dante again, uh, and then try to be a process of reorienting the culture, institutions, and the civilization towards the timeless truths and embracing humility about our limitations as humans. And then as a final point, like right now in 2023 might be an extraordinarily good time and or opportunity and opportunity to make this happen. Both because we've been through kind of 10, 15 years of quite uh, confusing times, uh, which is also connected to the other opportunity, which is new technology that can really make this happen at a bigger scale and, and in some ways much faster as well than for example, if you look at the Florentine Renaissance, which took decades, or you might even say that kind of much of it comes from Dante in the early 1300s and then it's in the 1400s and the middle and late 1400s that it really comes to fruition. But things can happen at a much faster, faster kind of time period or like a faster pace now. Okay, so that's all we had for today. Uh, we have the new Dante episode that is on the Dante's Divine Comedy podcast. And then the question from Chris in Georgia and this little reading excerpt from Del Noche and his ideas about modernity and how modernity can be absorbed into a bigger bigger frame, bigger picture again. So um, that was all and I hope you're still having a great day and we'll be back soon with another episode. See you then. <laughs>